Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This episode was recorded live at the Manor Vale Lodge. Conversations on Dance at the Vale Dance Festival is generously underwritten by the town of Vale. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Okay, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Conversations on Dance at the Vale Dance Festival. We are so excited to be back. My name is Michael Sean Breeden. And I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro, and we're so happy to be here on a personal note. I'm excited to be back and be back with Mikey here. It's so great (laughs) to be here this year and not be giving birth, so I really appreciate that. Uh, We can't think of a better way to start off this festival this year with Janet Elber, Artistic Director of Martha Graham Dance Company. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, we love, love being here at Vail. One of the great things about this festival is the way Damien um, brings back uh, artists and we feel the sense of community and it's such a wonderful time for us, not only the dancing and the audience, but um, just connecting to the world of dance. Yeah, for sure. So we obviously are going to talk about what the company will be dancing here tonight, but um, we are, Rebecca and I are personally excited to have just you on the podcast for the first time. We've had you with others in two previous podcasts, so we want to talk a little bit about your own career um, a little further than we have before. So I'd love to start with just hearing maybe about how you first became aware of Martha Graham and when you knew you wanted to dance for her. I have a really checkered career with Martha Graham, I have to say. <laughs> um, I, was a, I was a student at the Interlochen Arts Academy in Michigan, and they took us down to Detroit um, to see the Martha Graham Dance Company. Uh, this was in 1968 or 69, I think. And uh, Martha was still on stage, and she would have been 74, 75. And I was 16 or 17 going, what? Why, why, why is that old lady on stage kind of walking back and forth and then the whole company dances around her and I just had no idea. 
Um, and then I, I went to the Juilliard School for, for college and had been trained in the Lamone technique and ballet, but was required to take the Martha Graham technique. And once again, I was like, what? Uh, we have to sit on the floor for the first 30 minutes of class, and then you get to stand up, and you got to memorize all these exercises. <coughs> and it was New York, and I was there from northern Michigan, so I pretty much skipped my Graham classes my freshman year because... <laughs> Chinese food I had never had. And, you know, I was in New York City, and there was stuff I had to check out. Um, but I had to learn the technique for my juries um, at the end of my freshman year, so I kind of began to get a feel for it. And then my, my sophomore year, I was cast in Diversion of Angels, one of Martha's most beautiful dances from 1948, a dance that's lyrical and all about love and... Um, the light bulb went off, and I realized that this, these exercises I'd been learning, this contraction and release, um, was a vocabulary of poetry uh, and expression, and that it, it was truly fulfilled when it was filled with emotional images and expression. And um, then, of course, I just, that was it, you know. It, Nothing else gave me the same satisfaction of uh, intellectual involvement, an emotional involvement, and then the incredible power, the physical power of the Graham technique, that contraction and release, the, the um, core of the body driving all of the movement, and the leveraging against the floor, her famous falls and recoveries. I mean, Martha really designed her technique um, to um, reveal the weight of the body, the struggle of an individual. She wanted to reveal how hard it is to be a human, as opposed to the goals of classical ballet, where the, the goals are you know, to be anti-gravity and lighter than air. And this was digging in. And anyway, um, that's the short version. Sorry. <laughs> you know what's funny? I feel like we've interviewed a lot of your dancers, and don't they almost have the same story every time? And they're like, we take a gram class, and we're like, what is this? I don't know. And then we talk to some dancers who enjoy balancing technique, and they're like, oh, as soon as I took it, I mm -hmm. loved it. So I just wonder, what is it, do you think, about the gram technique that kind of just like takes you a while to dig in, and then once you get it in your body, it just feels right? You know, I think it's um, getting used to the idea that you have to reveal yourself. Mm. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be powerful. You have to take charge of what you're expressing and, and open yourself up. Mm. Um, even in class, uh, when you really get the hang of it, um, you should be practicing that as Martha called it, revealing the inner landscape. You should be practicing fulfilling the exercises you're doing with emotional images. Mm -hmm. um, and because if you don't practice it in the classroom, it's not going to show up on stage. Um, and I think that's, that's the real attraction for the people who wind up being gram dancers. Um, the, the depth of self-expression... Um, I know for me, coming from the Midwest again, a good repressed Midwesterner, <laughs> um, the opportunity to uh, really reveal not only who I was, but 
how I could be Jocasta, you know, how I could be Phaedra, how I could be these enormously complicated women that Martha Graham had created for the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what could possibly be better? <laughs> how, how was she guiding you towards those sort of ideals? Was she giving you, as you said, sort of emotional imagery or encouraging you to find that in yourself? What, what sort of um, coach or director was she? It's, it's a complicated answer. Um, she did not, well, she did give animalistic images often that, you know, the power would come up your spine until you revealed your incisors. Like, you know, you're going to take a bite out of someone. Um, uh, so she often used those sorts of images. But there was an expectation that that was what you, from Martha, was that you arrived wanting to reveal yourself, wanting to, to reach your full potential and your full power on stage. So she didn't talk about it a lot. I mean, she, she, that was just something that was ingrained in her, so she just kind of as, assumed it was ingrained in you. Hmm. Um, one of my first rehearsals with her, I, I had a position of my head with sort of a tip of my head when I was standing still or, or learning new choreography that, you know, I thought, I don't, I didn't think it was just a way I had trained myself to show off my shoulder blades or something like that. I don't know. Um, and she took one look at me and basically told me I had to get my head on straight, literally, <laughs> literally, you know, she knew that this was a default position and that was completely meaningless. She said, that's 100% of nothing. Um, and she wanted me to understand what the tip of my head meant and how to use it and how to connect it to the power of my spine. And, you know, nothing, no single movement you did in the Graham world was default. Everything was considered, everything was aimed and potent and intentional. Um, So, you know, and that's kind of a life lesson too, not just about dancing. Right. You mentioned that she was dancing into her 70s. How how long did did she dance? She danced, I think 1970 was her last yeah. performance. So I have to assume that in the studio she was showing a lot of this. She's maybe not telling you very specific things, but she's really showing a lot? Not for my generation, ah. because I joined the company in 1972, and she would have been 78. And she was quite arthritic. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was incredibly eloquent uh, and could inspire you um, through her words. Mm. Um, and she also, you know, I think the essence, one of the essences of Martha Graham's genius is that she could read a person by just looking at them. Mm. She understood body language. She understand looking at you, the way you walked and the tip of your head, uh, and could then decide how to direct you. Some dancers needed a mother, some dancers needed a dictator, some dancers needed flirtation, you know, and she just knew um, how she could push your buttons, basically. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is shaping you as a dancer, these experiences, but how, how did working with Martha shape you as the director you are today as well? Another long answer. (laughs) We're here for (laughs) sure. 
over I've been artistic director for 18 years now and of course having having been inside the ballets is one experience but being outside them and and watching them is um, you know just added to how I understand the Graham legacy and and my job but I think the probably the greatest lesson I learned from Martha that affects me now was is to embrace change. She was constantly looking for the next thing. She was trying to stay ahead of her audiences to figure out ways to astonish them and to um, move things into the future before anybody else did. Um, and basically it says, uh, you know, change is going to happen. Mm. So you should get in front of it. You should figure out how to use it powerfully. And um, so that's a huge, a huge lesson, especially when I took over and there is a contingent of people saying, well, wait a minute, that's Martha Graham. Don't change what the company does. Don't, what, you have to ask, what would Martha do? You have to do this, you have to do that. And, um, you know, I feel like Martha was, in the back of my head, saying, "Man, you don't have to do any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to figure out how to move into the future." Right. 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 Yeah. I, I think um, I want to. We'll circle back to your own career and life, but this is making me think of what Damien Wetz was saying last night about tra tradition and innovation. And when you took over the company, it has this well of tradition and you know some of the most iconic 20th century dances. But you, it was sort of your task with. Um, you were tasked with how you were going to bring the company into this century and what sort of identity it could have that could exist outside of Graham's works solely. So what were some of the first steps that you were taking then to consider who would mesh with the company's dancers, what the identity could be outside of Graham specifically? What were some of your first ideas there? You know, we didn't we didn't jump right into commissioning new work when I took over. It was much more of a seismic shift, um, understanding who we were going to be without this genius um, gathering audiences. People would just come to see what Martha Graham was doing next, even in her 90s. Um, so asking the question, who are we going to be without Martha Graham, and who cares? You know, who is our audience, and why should they come see us? Uh, and there were um, some important audience studies at the time by the Knight Foundation and the Rand Foundation uh, asking audiences why they came to the theater. And it was everything from, you know, it was babysitting to expenses, is the parking lot too far away, what makes a, a experience memorable, um, do you talk about it around the water cooler the next day, you know, and the, um, the sort of thing that I took away from understanding these studies was that audiences wanted a, a deeper, richer experience in a shorter amount of time, and they wanted context, it was, it's the information age. They didn't want to come into a dark theater and just have something in front of them without being able to Google and say, why is she doing that? And who's that character? And, you know, they wanted information immediately. So we began to look at other art forms and ask, um, what do they do to bring context to an audience? Because modern dance is really young. You know, it's a little over 100 years old. And it was born out of revolt. 
It was always out with the old and in with the new. And audiences were trained and funders were trained and the whole field of modern dance was trained to reject um, their, its, his, its own history. It didn't even admit it had a history. When I took over the Graham Company, we didn't call the major works of the 20th century classics. Modern dance did not have classics because we were always moving on to the next thing. So we looked to other fields that had, you know, this hurdle at some point. What do the contemporary art museums do with their classics of the 20th century? There's signage, of course, but there are also audio tours now. And the opera uses supertitles. And so we began to experiment. Uh, the first thing we did was add a spoken introduction to all of our programs. Um, it's like a museum's audio tour, just um, a little And Damien does it all the time here. We'll do it tonight. Um, just a little bit of information of what to look for in any dance that you're going to see. Um, it was first the critics said, "Why is she up there talking?" And you know, but the audiences really loved it. It opened new doors to our classics, and we started adding media and narration on stage. We started uh, partnering unusual partnerships. Um, we had a two-week residency at Google. We partnered with the American Psychiatry Association when we were talking about Martha's psychological ballets. We, yeah, um, we did online video competitions, the Clytemester Rematch Challenge with cash prizes. Um, and we've, yeah, we, we posted solos from Clytemestra online and said, do whatever you want to them. You can learn them and dance them. You can add music. You can edit them. Relate the character to someone or something in the news today. And the, one of my favorites was they took our Helen of Troy and they meshed it with Britney Spears trying to escape the paparazzi. <laughs> um, so just finding ways to surprise people. People said, what is the Martha Graham Dance Company doing? And I loved it. Um, so... As we kind of got on a roll with that kind of experimentation, we, in 2007, uh, we had an opening night on the anniversary of 9-11 in New York City. And we wanted to figure out a way to honor the, the day, uh, remember. But, of course, we didn't have much time or much money. So uh, we said, okay, we're going to invite three young choreographers to create short works for the company, inspired by a film of Martha Graham dancing her iconic solo, Lamentation. It's the one in the stretchy tube of fabric where it's only four minutes long. And um, we said, you only get 10 hours of rehearsal. You have to use public domain music. You have to keep it under four minutes because that's how long Lamentation is. No sets, no props, simple costumes. You can choose any number of dancers in the company. And it's a one-night-only event. And we invited Azure Barton and Richard Move and Larry Kegwin. And uh, Azure did a duet and Richard did a solo and Larry used the full company. We showed the film of Martha and these three gems of contemporary choreography one after another that were so intrinsically tied to our legacy. This lamentation is like the essence of modernism, the essence of Martha's revolution. And it was revelatory. Of course, we forgot the one night only thing. We started doing it every night and touring around the world and commissioning <laughs> new lamentation variations. Damien and the festival commissioned one from Doug Verone a few years ago. We brought the lamentation variations here. 
Um, and that, that was the kickoff. A few years later, we're up to 15 variations now. Uh, Michelle Dorrance has done one, and Lar Lubavitch, and Sonia Taya, and you know, Kyle Abraham. It, it's really been a remarkable journey for us. But we also started commissioning more substantial works. Uh, Nacho Duato was the first one. Mats Eck has worked with us, and Pam Tanowitz, and Annie B. Parsons, and um, well, you'll see tonight Hofesh Schechter, and City Larby Sherkawi. It's quite a, a list of. Um, Extraordinary, extraordinary artists. So as an artistic director, you mentioned that some people are like, we want to keep it Graham. We don't want to do anything new. And then you're saying, look, I've looked at this research. I think this is the way we should go. And then you start going full steam ahead in that direction. As an artistic director, you have so much to think about. It's not just let me do whatever I want. There's donors, there's a board, there's all these people involved. So what is the feedback you're getting as you start to steer the company in this direction? And how do you trust your gut to really go with your vision? You know, it was kind of out of necessity that we started trying new things because after Martha's death in 1991, um, the company was... People were considering it old and musty and museum because the whole field of modern dance was just kind of like, we don't do old. Um, and there was some contest over Martha's Will and who owned the ballets, and we went through a really rough period. So when LaRue Allen, who's our executive director, and I took over, the company was about $6 million in debt. So we had to try stuff. We, we had to say, no, we're not going to do exactly what went before because we, it's, it wasn't working. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly it wasn't working. So that kind of gave us permission to really go far afield mm -hmm. and say, you know, um, we're going to pull out all the stops because we're in survival mode. And, and, and that's... So with that as a launch pad... Uh, and with audiences coming to kind of go, what the heck is the Graham Company doing? Mm -hmm. um, but we began to bring in new audiences. We began to see a much younger audience. Um, we began to get press from the unusual activities we're, we're doing. And um, that launch continues to drive the... Um, the range of things that we can do. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering now that we have so many, like a, an extensive catalog of, of works by new choreographers, how do you juxtapose them with Martha's work? So for instance, tonight, I think we're seeing two works by Martha and then the, the only one? One only work by one, Martha. One work by Martha. <laughs> right. So then how do we decide what's going to balance with the, the newer works? Yeah. Um, you know, we... When we started commissioning new work, um, the one thing I was determined to do was to use choreographers who had very distinctive and different voices from Martha Graham. And this continues to surprise people, you know, especially choreographers who come to me and say, I've been so inspired by Martha Graham, and this is, you know, I think my work would be perfect for the company. I, I have to say, you know, I really have to look for different voices. I, having something Graham-esque next to something Graham is not a successful formula, right. you know. Um, so, and 
we what we've done throughout the years is have a season theme so that works that are quite different can live on the same program because contextually they belong together. Mm-hmm. We had a theme, Myth and Transformation, where we were able to do many of Martha's works that are inspired by Greek myth. Um, and we commissioned a work from Andanas Phoniadakis, believe it or not, he's Greek, (laughs) 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 who has a style that is wildly different, a physical style, Mm. than Martha's. It's very flung and very fast. um, But he he chose a Greek myth to to create a new ballet around for us. Mm. And um, the combination on stage was thrilling, you know, to see Martha's transformation of Greek myth beside a contemporary choreographer's transformation. So we've continued to to do this kind of thematic curation, mm-hmm. um, which allows us to have really rangy choreography, which our dancers have become multilingual. I know you're going to ask. I was right? just going to say that not only is, it's a win-win. The mm-hmm. audiences love seeing something different, and then the dancers are fed in this different way, and that just must also be so gratifying for you. It's really gratifying for me. I'm not sure the dancers would say they were being fed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, challenge. How about challenge. that? Okay. Yeah, but they have—they are remarkable in the way they have um, become such, as I say, multilingual yeah. um, in these various dance techniques. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the specific grand work that we're seeing tonight. It's mm-hmm. Errand into the Maze. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the history of this work. A signature role for Martha Graham uh, from 1947. Um, Errand into the Maze is based on the myth of Theseus, who traveled into the maze to battle the Minotaur. Um, Martha, of course, sends a woman on this journey, uh, and it's a metaphor for uh, a journey into the woman's own fears. Um, the, The character of the Minotaur is called, not the Minotaur in our program, but the creature of fear. Uh, And the dance originally, and we still dance it this way, has a beautiful set by Isama Noguchi. Um, if you know the sets that he designed for Martha, you, you may have seen the Appalachian Spring set, which um, just gives you the expanse of the American frontier, the way the, the rafters of the house reach out into the audience, and you're just in open spaces. For Aaron in the Maze, he closes you in. It's a cavernous, dark, you know, space inside the woman's brain, if you will, inside the maze. Um, and uh, so it's a, it's a battle. It's a, it's a woman confronting her own fears, she meets the Minotaur in this dance three times, and um, you just see her journey. Um, there are moments where she, after the first or second time, she thinks she's done it, and she's quite mm-hmm. relaxed. And then the, you know, the fear <laughs> takes over again. It's very visceral. To it's a prime example. You'll see the Martha Graham technique so brilliantly used in this ballet. The the deep folded contractions as she's expressing her fear and and the triumphant release and explosion at the end. Right. 
The next work on the program that we're going to get to see, we actually had the pleasure of talking to you about, um, Canticle for Innocent Comedians. It has quite an interesting background, and I feel like it enmeshes really well with everything you've been saying about how to bring the company into a, a 21st century sort of sensibility, or how you, how do you honor your past while moving to the future. So I would love to, to kind of tell that story again, tell the audience how this idea for the work came about, and then putting it together, what that was like. Right. Well, Martha did a ballet called Canticle for Innocent Comedians in 1952. Um, and it was her ode to nature. It was um, made up of eight vignettes, each one named for nature, sun, earth, wind, water, sun, moon, stars. Um, and the final one was death, rebirth. Uh, and it was reported to be absolutely magical. It was well-received. Paul Taylor saw it when he's a student at Juilliard, said it was the reason he became a choreographer. And um, but it was very poorly documented, and it's really considered to be lost. One section was filmed. Um, it's part of the film A Dancer's World, um, a documentary in 1958 about Martha, the Moon Duet. So we looked and looked at trying to recover it, and just didn't think we could authentically bring it back to the stage and say that it was a work by Martha Graham. So we decided um, that we would borrow her title and borrow her structure and fill it with all new choreography, except for the Moon Duet. And we realized we could have a different choreographer do each vignette, which is what we did. Mm -hmm. uh, and to give the piece some cohesion, we brought in Sonia Taya, and she created the, the work for the ensemble who weaves through these eight vignettes, and we also commissioned a score from Jason Moran, the great jazz pianist, and he created a score for the entire thing. Um, so the choreographers uh, are a range of different types of physicality, from Inue, the, the Chinese choreographer, whose uh, work comes, well, her original roots of her type, of, her dance was in Chinese classical folk dance. She have now has a very contemporary style. Um, the Elaine sisters came out of athleticism and track and field, but then went on to dance with Akram Khan and have their own physicality. And um, uh, Michaela Taylor came, comes out of street dance and hip hop, uh, as does um, Nunez, Juliano Nunez. And so we wanted really different physicalities to be represented in this work and um, well you'll see tonight I think it, it all comes together and sort of creates a, a world community um, and speaks about our common responsibility to nature and the planet in a way right. when, we, when we talked with you last time we um, talked a little bit about the music which has such a interesting backstory. Can we dig into that a little bit and kind of how that composition came about for this this work? Yes, it you know, people generally assume that a choreographer picks a piece of music and then starts doing the choreography to the music and that was never Martha's style at all. Her early mentor and um, uh, partner, Louis Horst, musical director, said, Martha, your work 
your dance has to be the center of the art that you're creating, and music should frame and support it. So she would often do the work first, and then Louis Horst would create the score to it, and that continued. Um, she sent Copeland a scenario, and, and Copeland then wrote music for her scenario. So um, that is basically what happened with Jason Moran, because we started this piece in COVID, so like the Sun solo existed long before Jason joined the process and he came into the studio and would improvise watching the dancer as he did also with um, uh, some of the other works were already done. I think the Earth duet and Stars was not done yet. So Jason did Stars and then we gave the music to Michaela Taylor. And so it, it all came together sort of, you know, in a unusual way, but I love this score. It's really so poetic and beautiful. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The final work we'll be seeing, we got a little taste of last night, Hova Schechter's Cave, and it's just been really uh, such a big hit with audiences. I mean, I remember when it had its premiere, I, multiple people reached out to me, sent me text messages the next day saying, can't believe you missed this. It was, it's the best thing I've seen in ages. And um, it's just, it's something audiences are clearly really responding to, but it's so different from anything else on the program. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about the commission? Like uh, when, when Hovish is invited, you know, does he say like, oh, I'm going to do a rave dance and you're like well that's great you know how does this how does this end up happening no no it's a much more of a journey than that <laughs> and and actually started with daniel simkin you know daniel the fabulous um international ballet star who is very um creative and experimental in his own the work that he produces um as well as being unbelievable in don q of course um daniel came to us and and said you know i live in berlin the, the nightlife, the techno scene is incredible. The music is incredible. The light is incredible. And the dance is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I have this idea of um, weaving choreography into a techno rave, um, in, in a rave, in a you know, rave space, not a, on stage or anything. And, he's, and we were thrilled when he said, and Graham was the first company I thought of who might want to do this experiment. I said, oh, thank you, Daniel. Mm -hmm. um, so we said, yeah, we want to do that. But we also said, you know, we tour, 95% of our work is on the road and on stage. So we'd like a proscenium work 
to start with a proscenium work that we can take on the road. And then once that's made, it could be deconstructed and turned into this, uh, the first idea. Uh, so everyone agreed to that. Uh, and Daniel actually said, how do you feel about Hofesh Schechter? I said, bring him on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we would love to work with Hofesh. And Daniel was the one who reached out to Hofesh and brought him in. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. You, you, I mean, I, I was watching it last night and thinking how effective it is in a proscenium. You know, it's, it's, I, I still love it in that, through that gaze. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it can really live in that space for sure. It, it's so effective. But you might, you know, immediately upon hearing what the idea of the work is, be skeptical at first, but mm-hmm. I think everyone's going to be f- so fully absorbed in what world it's bringing there. I, you know, I th- Hofish is a brilliant choreographer, so it, you, you're not going to see a work where people are just out there dancing around, improvising. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Daniil was trying to get away from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I do think the idea, the the initial seed idea, that that this would be choreography that um, inspired. Non-dancers to dance to be woven into a dance party mm. um, inspired Hofesh in a way that throughout the work he was considering that connection to the audience. So it's a, it's a work that from the beginning you just feel the audience wanting to be part of it, and that's not true of of every dance. It, it's you know he's really tapped into that basic human urge to move to a beat and to dance with strangers, you know, and and to just have that release. And the other thing that was going on was he created it during COVID. And it's very cathartic. Mm. The idea of of dancing with other people (laughs) um, and the idea of just dancing and getting out of your solitude and you know, the restrictions that we all lived through. I felt that so much. Like we were standing in the back last night and just, I mean, I couldn't stop like moving and it just the way the music just encapsulates the whole audience and it just really feels that way. How does that feel for you sitting in the audience, watching your dancers just like, I mean, they just were so into it and they just were so energetic. God, it was looked like so much fun. Like, how does that feel for you to just feel I'm, the success? I'm with them yeah. all the way. Don't sit next to me. I yell louder than anybody else. <laughs> and, yeah, and I'm moving and, you know, it's it's a thrill for me. I mean, I do live vicariously through my dancers, I have to say, in the Graham works, in the new works. Um, but in this one in particular, because... Um, you know, you you can dance at any age in some way, and, and this dance just invites you to move as much as you possibly can um, in whatever way you want to. How do you feel that this work maybe is different from other things that you have in the repertoire? Well, it's certainly the different, the different vocabulary, quite different from Martha's. Um, and again, I... I well, it's that, that element of connecting with the audience from the moment the music starts. And that being the point of this work, the point is that connection. Rather than some thematic, something else that you're supposed to go home and think about, which is almost every other dance, this is simply about pure, unadulterated movement. 
so I think that's the essential difference. Well, we, we can't wait to experience it again and in its entirety. But I think we have a little bit of time now to open the floor to audience questions if anyone has something. We have a microphone this year and Sierra is going to bring it over to whoever's asking a question. We can capture your question. <laughs> All right. How about right here? Right here. I wonder... In school, you still have a school, don't you? We do, the Martha Grand so School. So do you teach her technique, or so people are learning her technique? Yes, we teach her technique. We have teachers all over the world teaching her technique. Um, our school is very international, um, and we have a large uh, contingent of international students, and always have. I mean, the school, like the company, is almost 100 years old. We haven't talked about our upcoming anniversary. Um, so the, the technique is... <laughs> you can talk about it now if you'd like. Uh, at any rate, yes, they're... they're Technique is taught. We also teach in our school um, ballet and more contemporary works. We, we want to have our students, now that the company is multilingual and, and speaking so many different dance languages, we, we want to prepare our students. Highly recommend following the company and the school on Instagram. Really great to see what the dancers and the students are up to. It's really it's fun. Yes. When you were testing your mic, you told a little bit about how the... Um, all the stars came on the stage last night and how they were incorporated into the dance. Can you talk a little bit more about that process and yeah, how it worked? Ab absolutely. You know, you, you all know Damien just loves to have creative projects on the stage and collaborations. And, you know, so he and I have been kind of for months talking about how we could add extra people into the end of Cave and have a dance party. And, you know, so... But it, the devil is in the details. So, like, the day before yesterday, we said, well, okay, when are we going to rehearse this? And who's going to be where? And um, uh, my wonderful dancer, Xin Ying, who you saw dance the solo Immediate Tragedy last night, and I kind of discussed this before we left New York, and she said, okay, Ballet X, we can teach them this move. I said, you sure? And she said, yeah, they can learn that really fast. And and then we'll get to the jam circles, and we'll drag the four stars in. And and I said, okay, Yang, it's all yours. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, our dancers had a rehearsal with uh, Ballet X on Thursday, and they were ready yesterday, and then Robbie Fairchild and, you know, the other stars that were with us last night were thrown in in about half an hour yesterday afternoon. And it worked, it worked pretty well, right? I mean, they all showed up, you know, the, when you have got a, there must have been about 30 dancers on stage at the end of the yeah. evening last right. night, so. Gosh, they look like they were having fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? Sure. Thank you. Would you, uh, you commented on uh, coming out of the pandemic and cave being a wonderful cathartic re you know, rebirth. Uh, would you talk generally about the challenges that Martha Graham faced as a result of the pandemic and the different landscape for a successful company post-pandemic uh, in terms of audience participation, development, financial integrity of the company, for the company, but also for, for dance companies in general? Yeah, of course, uh, where do I begin with the pandemic? We, um, we were able to keep our dancers on about half of their salaries and on full health insurance. Um, we were lucky we had just digitized our archives, and we 
pivoted so fast. We had Whiplash um, uh, doing online offerings like our Martha Martha matinees on Wednesday and Saturday afternoon, which showed off some of our archival films with a live chat. And you know, I was at home with my mask on, kind of chatting. Um, so we. Um, we really, really, and our school pivoted to Zoom classes, that sort of thing. Um, the recovery is still challenging, it, it, uh, you know, because not just how hard companies were hit individually, but our income theaters were hit very hard. Universities where we often perform um, budgets were, I mean, ac across the board, um, people's incomes and budgets are really, really decimated. Um, there was a recent article in the New York Times about how many small theater companies are closing, that that BAM has cut 13% of its staff, and that the New York um, Public Theater has cut a large percentage of its staff. So yes, we, we are feeling it deeply, and um, doing everything we can to um, you know, be in front of audiences um, in this year, hoping to to rebuild. Uh, we we are in debt this year. I can tell you from for the first time in 18 years since Lou and I took over. Um, but we are launching this fall the first season of a three season celebration of the Martha Graham Dance Company's 100th anniversary, uh, which is. The birthday is in April of 2026. Uh, and when I began thinking four or five years ago, what are we going to do for our 100th? And thinking about the, the depth and breadth of Martha's legacy, the many iconic, incredible works of 20th century art that, that we own and curate, I just couldn't figure out how to fit it all in one year. Um, so we're, we're doing three years. Actually, Vail is kind of the the run-up, the precursor. We actually launch it in September. Uh, and, um, of course, we're going to have thematic. Each season will be thematic. The first one's kind of Americana, Martha's social activism, her modernism. The next season is Dances of the Mind. Uh, and the final season is going to be the masterpieces, the masterworks. Each year we'll have commissions. This year we, we've commissioned um, Jamar Roberts with a new score by Rhiannon Giddens, certainly to feed into our Americana themes. Um, we're, we're also working to, you know, the, the American conversation really has not changed since Martha Graham was creating works about it. And um, we want uh, her relevancy, her ongoing relevancy to be woven into our celebration. Um, so for our Americana season, we're also reviving Agnes DeMille's Rodeo. We're reorchestrating the Copeland score for a bluegrass ensemble. Opening conversations about the, the roots of American music, living in the black community, and, and hoping to um, present our iconic 20th century works in the expanded today's context of an expanded history of the 20th century, which is more inclusive. Um, our theme, Dances of the Mind, uh, Martha's Psychological Ballets, um, we're looking at the theme in America today of what is truth? Um, how do you perceive truth on stage or in your life? Um, and the final year of 
Martha Graham Dance Company turning 100 aligns with America 250. The country's turning 250 years old. And as the oldest company in the United States, and certainly Martha's works of, um, they're, they're all so intrinsically American, even the Greek-themed works are from an American point of view. That alignment, we think, is, you know, exciting, relevant, powerful. And PBS is doing a documentary, and we're doing a coffee, ta coffee table book with the NYC Dance Project. The New York Public Library is doing a huge exhibit. The 92nd Street Y is co-commissioning some So we've got a lot going on. Wow, I just I can't wait now. I, yeah. It's just so much so much to look forward to. But first, we've got to start with tonight. So, okay. uh, thank you all so much for coming out, and we hope you come to the performance. And Janet, of course, thank you most of all. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. It's you know my favorite subject. So, I <laughs> thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Conversations on Dance is part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, visit conversationsondancepodpod.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.